We're going to go one more time to the book of Luke, chapter 2, please. This is our fourth and final sermon in this series called Canicles. By now, hopefully everybody knows this, but just in case, a canicle is a poem or song found somewhere in the Bible other than the book of Psalms. And there are four of them. I was looking at some commentaries this week. Some count three, some count five. But there are, I'm saying four of them in the first two chapters of Luke. And we've looked first at Mary's hymn of praise, My soul magnifies the Lord. Then we looked at the prophecy of Zacharias, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. Last week we looked at glory to God in the highest, what the angels had to say. And this is the last one today. This is Simeon. And you may not have even heard of Simeon before. Hopefully most of you have. But you will today. We'll talk about Simeon and Anna. And this fourth one the words start out, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. And that's what I'm about to read right now. So stand with me, please. I'm going to read just those few verses there. I'm going to begin in verse 28 and read to verse 32 of Luke chapter 2. He, that is Simeon, took him, that is Jesus, up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Let's pray together, please. Our Father, we are so thankful for your word. We thank you for this day that we set aside and celebrate the fact that you came. You did not leave us in our sin. You did something about it. You intervened and you sent your son to come in human flesh to be our savior. And we praise you for that this morning. Lord, even though this may not be as familiar as what we studied last week, it is nevertheless familiar. And so we ask for fresh eyes and fresh ears this morning that you would give us understanding of what you have for us as you have spoken it to us in your word. Show us Jesus high and lifted up. Let us behold wondrous things out of your law this morning. I ask for the help of your Holy Spirit to be on me, to teach your word this morning, and you give us ears to hear, hearts ready to change. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'll give you an outline here at the beginning. I probably won't refer back to it, but just to give you an idea of where we're headed in these 18 verses this morning. The first section is about Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. They come to the temple, and we'll talk about why they were there and what they were there to do and what the time frame was. Then second, we will look at Simeon, and you can see he has the most verses of what we're looking at this morning. Simeon, verses 25 to 35, and then a few verses there at the end, three of them about Anna. So that's the focus that will shift. First, focusing on, they're sometimes called the Holy Family. I realize they were not saints, Mary and Joseph, humans like we are. Sinful people who needed a redeemer. The difference is they had him in their household. So Jesus and his earthly parents, and then the shift to Simeon and then to Anna. I have three ideas, and we won't get to them until we're talking about Simeon a little bit later on. But here are the three main ideas for this morning first god gives peace through salvation god gives peace through salvation second god is the source of salvation specifically jesus he saves us 
through his son Jesus. And third, God offers salvation to all people. God offers salvation to all people. We'll get to that in verses 31 to 32. And we'll show you that again as we get there. I'd like to take a moment to review some Jewish ceremonies. And that may seem odd to you. Some of it may be familiar to you. That's great. But if you don't understand what's going on when Luke is just giving a little phrase here and an Old Testament quote there and expecting us to know what he's talking about, I want to fill in some of the blanks. So I have a chart here for you that's going to show what's going on. We have circumcision, redemption of the firstborn, and purification of the mother. And all this we could find in the Law of Moses. But let me share with you what the Life Application Study Bible says about these three events. Jewish families went through several ceremonies after the birth of a baby boy. First was circumcision. And we actually saw this when we were dealing with Zacharias and Elizabeth and John, who we call John the Baptizer. Circumcision was on the eighth day after birth, according to Leviticus. And it also, by this point, had become customary to name the baby on the day of his circumcision. Second, the redemption of the firstborn. Any firstborn son needed to be presented to God one month after birth, so 30 days. And you can find that in Exodus and Numbers. The ceremony included the idea of buying back or redeeming. The parents had to pay five shekels. And that was the idea of buying back the firstborn son who belonged to the Lord. Because what are the parents doing? Specifically, the father would have been there paying that amount to acknowledge that the child belongs to God. He is the source of life. He is the one who has given this child to our family. And then third, the purification of the mother. And if you dig into it on your own, you'll see that for a baby boy, the mother was unclean for 40 days. For a baby girl, 80 days. Long time. And what did that mean? What does it mean to be unclean? Well, she could not enter the temple for that time period. At the end of her time of separation, the parents were supposed to bring a lamb for a burnt offering and a dove or pigeon for a sin offering. And the priest would sacrifice these animals and declare her then to be clean and able to worship in the temple again, ceremonially clean. If the family couldn't afford a lamb. There was a provision for that too. And we're going to see that in this passage in Luke. But that's what Mary and Joseph were doing. When we read these few verses, verses 21 and 22, 23, he's kind of jumping into and out of, okay, this is the circumcision, this is the purification, this is the presentation. So I'll point those out as we go. But let's, let's leave that up so you can see the first, the second, the third ceremony and where they fit in. And with all that in mind, could we please go back to verse 21? And that's where I'm going to begin our verse-by-verse study this morning. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision, that's the first line there, the first ceremony, the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So eight days following the law. This goes all the way back to Abraham, but it was codified in the law given to Moses. On the eighth day, baby boy has to be circumcised. It had also become customary, as we said, to give the child, to publicly announce the child's name on that eighth day. And as we look at this, both the circumcision ceremony and then for the mother, the purification ceremony, they were based on an idea. And the idea was that we're all sinful. There's a new baby born into the world. And those of you who have had children, you had that newborn and other than maybe crying a lot, You don't necessarily see a sin nature, but it's there. So at eight days and then at 40 days, there were these ceremonies that God put into the law. Why? 
because we're born in sin. Not that we have necessarily committed sin yet, but we have a sin nature inside us. That's why we need a Redeemer. Did Jesus have a sin nature? Did he, in that sense, need to be circumcised? Did Mary, in that sense, need to be purified? No, but they were following the law. Mary was a sinner, but giving birth to Jesus didn't make her sinful, if that makes sense. So they're following the law. They're doing things according to the law. And even as a baby, Jesus is identifying himself with sinners. He did that again at his baptism. He did that certainly on the cross, identifying with us as sinners. That's what he chose to do. They named the child Jesus. And we said this last week. We may have said it the week before that as well. But what does Jesus mean? It means the Lord saves. His name means salvation. That's what he has come to do. And we read in the parallel passage in Matthew that the angel had said to Joseph in Matthew 121, she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So the angel told Joseph, name him Jesus. That's his name. A couple weeks ago, in Luke 1.31, Gabriel was talking to Mary and said, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and call his name Jesus. So an angel has told both parents individually, his name is Jesus. And obediently, they get to the eighth day, and Joseph said, his name is Jesus. Old Testament equivalent of Joshua, meaning the Lord saves. So that's the circumcision in verse 21. Verse 22. Now, when the days of her purification, so we're talking about Mary, and in my little table there, it's the third one, it's on day 40. The days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed. They brought to Jerusalem to present him. Now, that's the idea of number two, the redemption of the firstborn. They brought him, Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And then a little parenthetical, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Set apart that firstborn, redeem that firstborn. And, verse 24 goes on, to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law. Now we're switching back to the purification. The sacrifice according to what is in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So all this is being done according to the law of Moses, according to the law of the Lord. And I didn't read it, but just beyond our passage that we're reading today, we have Luke 2.39. It says, so when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, the law Following the law, keeping the law is predominant in this passage. Why? Because they are practicing what we think of as Judaism. They are obeying what God had given them to do at that point. Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. And for that reason, his parents and then he, when he was old enough to do so, followed the law. And he kept it perfectly. It does say two doves or two pigeons. And I alluded to that earlier. Why did it say that? In Leviticus chapter 12, verse 6, it says, She shall bring to the priest a lamb of the first year as a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove as a sin offering to the door of the tabernacle of beating. So that's what she's supposed to bring. She has a burnt offering or a sin offering. But two verses later, verse eight says, and if she is not able to bring a lamb, then she may bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one as a burnt offering and the other as a sin offering. So same idea, burnt offering, sin offering. 
But what's going on here? If you can't bring a lamb, why wouldn't you be able to bring a lamb? Because you're poor. And it seems that Joseph and Mary were very poor. And that in itself is a little ironic or a little surprising to us the family that God chose for his son to be born into was poor, didn't have a palace, didn't have all the money. When we read Matthew, if we had kept reading this morning, we read about the wise men coming, the Magi, and they brought expensive gifts, but that hadn't happened yet. So they had very little. And we know that because of the offering that she made at 40 days. And 2 Corinthians 8, 9 tells us, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, and certainly he was rich, he had all the riches and power and glory of heaven, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. By him coming and dwelling among us, by being born humbly into a poor family, we become spiritually rich in him. So our Focus is going to shift slightly now. It's been just on Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, and now we're shifting our focus to Simeon in verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Simeon's name means listening. He was hearkening. He was listening. What was he listening for? He was listening for the Holy Spirit's prompting. We know very little bit about Simeon. All we know is what's in these verses here. And what we're going to read about him is that he almost sounds eager to die. That seems a little odd to us. But he talks about, now I can die in peace. We'll read that in just a couple minutes. But nowhere in Luke does it say that he's old. You realize that? We assume he is old, and he very well may have been old. But the Bible does not tell us that he's old. Now, as a matter of fact, tradition says he was 113 years old, but that's, that's tradition. We don't know. What it does tell us is that he was just and he was devout. So he was righteous. He was right before God. He was religious. He was practicing the law, just as Joseph and Mary were doing with Jesus in the previous verses. And what else does it say about him? This man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Waiting. He is patient. He is expectant. He is hopeful. This phrase is also used of Joseph of Arimathea, who also was waiting for the kingdom. This is used just a little bit later about Anna in our passage today. So what's he waiting for? He's waiting. Great. What is he waiting? He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Well, that sounds fancy. Consolation means comfort. So we're talking about as the ESV Study Bible defines it, the hope that God would come to rescue and comfort his people. That's what he's waiting for. That's what he's hoping for. That God will come and intervene and rescue his people. What are we talking about? The consolation of Israel is the Messiah. And one other thing it says here is that the Holy Spirit was upon him. If you mark in your Bible, you might want to circle or underline these references to the Holy Spirit because there are several of them through here. The Holy Spirit was on him. Verse 26 continues, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. 
I liked what one pastor said, when you're led by the Spirit, you will see Jesus. Okay, if you are Spirit-led, if you are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to see Jesus. And I, I don't mean a vision. I mean spiritually. You're spiritualized. You're going to see Jesus. He's going to operate in your life by the power of his Holy Spirit to make you more like him, to guide you, to show you what to do. And that's what's going on in our story here for Simeon. That he came by the Spirit. The Spirit said, go to the temple now. And he did. And he got to see Jesus. I'm continuing verse 27. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up into his arms and blessed God and said, and we'll get to that in a minute, but do you have the picture here? This man might have been an old man. Probably was, but we don't know how old. They come into the temple, and when it says they, I believe we're talking about this is day 40, because if both parents are there, he's going to address Mary in just a minute. So that's why I think we're on day 40, not on day 30. He says, may I hold your baby? Now, you moms in the room who've had an infant, and maybe dads too, if a stranger walks up to you and your baby is one month old and says, may I hold your baby? And you're thinking, who are you? No, I don't know you. You may not hold my baby. But in this case, this man is spirit-led, and for whatever reason, they say, yeah. And he takes the baby in his arms. So he's holding Jesus. He's holding the Messiah. This next section, song, poem, whatever you want to call it, prophecy is the best word, I think. This is often called the nunc dimittis. And those are the first words in Latin. That's how all these have been titled by their Latin translation, the first words there. What's he saying? I can die happy. I can be satisfied with my life because I have seen the Messiah. The Holy Spirit is revealing that to this man in that moment. So this gets us to our first point now. God gives peace through salvation. God gives peace through salvation. What are so many people looking for today? What is a theme on Christmas cards and in Christmas greetings? Peace. We talked about that last week because the angels said, peace on earth. So he's referring to this same thing. The Old Testament, the Hebrew version is shalom. God's peace. Verse 29, now, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but as I was meditating on it this week, if you want to do a little Bible study, go through these three or four verses and compare what he's saying about himself and what he's saying about God. Starts off by saying, your servant. I am the servant of the Lord. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. What does it mean to depart? Well, ultimately he means to die. It is a word that figuratively means he's going to die. It's okay, my life is full. I am satisfied. Again, I think a modern phraseology would be, I can die happy. Because I have seen. This is according to your word. He's looking forward to the blessings. He has an eternal perspective, doesn't he? The blessings of the life to come. One of the pastors I served under in Georgia, his father-in-law passed away just a couple weeks ago and they had the funeral but he had a heart condition and he'd already had i believe different procedures or surgeries and what it came down to he was in his 90s 
and they, they had him at the local hospital, and they said, we need to send you, I think it was to Madison, Wisconsin, a big city hospital. We need to fly you there, because if we don't, you're going to die. And he said, well, this isn't the end. He's a believer, been walking with the Lord. Wife passed away, I think, eight or ten years ago. He was ready. Now, I'm not saying we're, never, we're necessarily eager to die. I'm not sure... I'm not sure Simeon was really thinking, all right, when I walk out of here, I'm just going to keel over and die. That's not what it was about, but he's saying, I'm satisfied. And Mr. Steese said, I'm ready. There were, there were emergency room and, and cardiac care unit nurses talking about him. There's this guy, and, and he did, he's okay with dying. That's rare, folks. That's probably rare even among believers, but... There's a big fear of death, and he's saying, I've seen it. I know the Messiah is here. And the Holy Spirit has revealed this to me. Ah, this is wonderful. Are you ready to depart? I don't expect this to happen. I hope this doesn't happen. But if, if somebody who is here listening in this room or somebody who's with us online, if you died this afternoon, are you ready? Do you know what would happen to you? If you're a believer in Jesus, the Messiah he's about to talk more about, you're ready. If you're a believer in Jesus as the Savior from sin and the hope of eternal life, you're ready to go. How did Simeon know? Let's keep reading. We're on our second point now. God is the source of salvation. That's verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Short statement with a lot in it. My eyes have seen your salvation. See, we, we sometimes have the, the misconception, certainly the world around us has the wrong idea that salvation is something that I have to do. It, it's a set of religious rules and regulations that I have to keep. It's not that. No. It's not a bunch of traditions. Oh, you have to do the right thing. You have to go to church. You have to do this. You have to do that. No, no. Salvation is a person. That's what this is saying. Simeon couldn't have seen, at that point, good works this baby was going to do. What had he seen? He'd seen this baby in his arms. I have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. Salvation is a person. The person is the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12 nor is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other way to be saved but through a person. The person is Jesus Christ. Point number three, God offers salvation to all people. So we just had the personal statement. I said there's a difference between what applies to everybody and what he's personalizing for himself. He said, my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. There's a personal aspect to this. There's a universal aspect to this. Which you have prepared for the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. So when it says all peoples, think in terms of Revelation 7. We have all nations, tongues, tribes, from every walk of life, every place on the globe 
every language, all peoples. For what purpose? A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. We read that and, and probably don't think anything. But if we think something, we think, oh, good, I'm a Gentile, that, that applies to me, good. No. Who is saying this? Simeon is saying this. Well, we don't know much about Simeon. We know that Simeon is a devout Jew because it said earlier that he was righteous. He was just and devout. He's practicing. So another way we know he is being influenced by, led by the Holy Spirit is what he's saying here. How else would he have looked at a baby and said, oh, you're going to bless the Gentiles? He had an understanding of what we would call the Old Testament, the Scriptures. He knew that going back to the promises given to Abraham, you are going to be blessed. You're going to bless the offspring that's born to you is going to be a blessing to everyone all peoples all nations even to the gentiles the promise was there all the way back to genesis and in faith by the by the leading of the holy spirit simeon is saying this is the light of the gentiles i'm holding him in my arms Maybe he had Isaiah 49 in mind where it says, I will also give you, my servant, as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Salvation is a person. His name is Jesus, and he offers salvation to all. Verse 33, we get the response of the parents. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, the child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Why did they marvel? Perhaps because of what he had just said, that their baby, 40 days old, is the hope of the world and the salvation of Gentiles. He gets a little more specific here in his prophecy about Israel. It will be, he will be the fall and rising of many in Israel. We know from other places in the New Testament that to those who reject him, he is a stumbling stone. We know that for those who accept him, they are exalted. What are we seeing here? Specifically in that verse to the Jews that how you respond to this person who is salvation determines your eternal destiny. Determines the spiritual blessings that you will receive. Someone said with Jesus there would be no neutral ground because people would either accept him or reject him. Can't have it both ways. Can't have Split in the middle. He further says, a sign which will be spoken against. What's he talking about? Opposition to Jesus. Those of you who've read the Gospels, is there any opposition to Jesus performing his adult ministry? Can you think of any people who are in opposition to him? Oh, yeah. Practically everybody. Any of the religious leaders, many of the political leaders were against him. The sign. We read in Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, to the Jews, a sign, right? There's a sign. Well, what would the sign be? Jesus, in his own words, if you read 
to Nicodemus in John 3. As the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And those who receive him will receive salvation. They will be saved. That's the sign. Is it spelled out here? No, but we've read the rest of the story. And the sign is this one who would be lifted up on a pole, crucified on a cross to bear the sins of the world. And he rose again the third day. So there is a sign, and it will certainly be spoken against. To this day, the cross, the empty tomb are spoken against. And then he gets very personal, and he says to Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul also. What is that? Well, it's a reference to the emotional anguish that Mary was going to have to deal with. This is tradition. We don't know for sure from the scriptures, but it seems that Joseph had died prior to the adult ministry of Jesus. But Mary was there. How do we know? John records that Mary was present at the cross and that Jesus even spoke to her and addressed John to say, Behold your mother, woman, behold your son, to, to provide for his mother. But mother's in the room to watch your own son being executed. And we've already talked some about the stigma that lasted for her and for him throughout his life, that he's an illegitimate son, that he's crazy, that he's a blasphemer, and to hear your son spoken against, ridiculed, persecuted, that is what she would have to endure, and he's prophesying that before any of it happened. How? Why? Because the Holy Spirit is revealing this to him in the moment. We're going to shift our focus now from Simeon to Anna. But before we leave Simeon, understand, he said he saw the salvation of God. Have you seen God's salvation? Have you seen God's salvation? Figuratively, spiritually, have you seen the Son of Man crucified, risen and coming again? Are you a believer in Jesus and therefore his child? It's probably the most important question I could ask you today. Have you seen God's salvation? Simeon had. He was holding him in his arms. Salvation is a person. Jesus and belief in him means eternal life with God. Verse 36. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Anna's name means grace, gift. And it says that she's a prophetess. We don't know of a specific role for her. One who is a prophet speaks for God. Now, was she telling forth the future the way Simeon just was? I don't know. It doesn't tell us that. It doesn't even record her words per se. But she was a prophetess, and she was of a great age. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? How many of you today are of a great age? You just, you're enjoying life at the age you are right now. All right. Four of you. Some kids had their hands up. That's good. What does that mean? It's the same phrase we had earlier. 
with Zacharias and Elizabeth back in chapter 1, that they were well advanced in years. It means she was old. How old was she, you may ask? Well, it says she was a widow of about 84 years. And depending on your translation, it may say she was 84 years old. That probably is what it means. But if it really means that she was a widow for 84 years, you had 84, plus it says that she was married for seven. So 84 plus seven, 91, thank you. And we don't know exactly how old she was when we got married, but let's just assume an average age of 15. So we're at 91 plus 15 is 106. On the low end, she'd be 104, 103. She's over 100, perhaps. So anywhere between 84 and over 100. Probably old in any of your books. She's old. She's a prophetess. She's old. Now, what I like in these first two chapters of Luke, have you noticed how many of these people are described as old? Several of them. Have you noticed what these old people are doing? They're serving God. They're not checked out. They're not retired and just kind of waiting to die. They are involved and fulfilling what God has them for them to do. And they're faithfully doing what he wants them to do. That's what she's doing. It says she didn't depart from the temple. That could mean that she lived in a room off the temple, or it could mean that she's constantly there. Anytime she can be there, she's there. It says that she served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Hebrews eleven six says, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And in prayers and in fastings, night and day, constantly, she is devoted to the Lord. She's seeking him, seeking his face. Someone said, God reveals himself to humble servants who continually live in his presence. You want to know God's will? You want to know what he has for you? Live in his presence. Be in his presence. Read his word. Pray. Fast. If he leads you to do that, do those things and see what he has for you. And what did she do? We don't know what she said. But when she came in, maybe Simeon was still holding Jesus at that point, I don't know. But it says that she spoke of him, capital H, him, spoke of Jesus to all those who looked for redemption. We read earlier that Simeon waited for the consolation of Israel. What did we say that was? The comfort of Israel, the Messiah. He was waiting for the Messiah. In fact, the Holy Spirit had told him, you won't die till you get to see the Messiah. Anna obviously was doing the same thing, but she took it a step further because she spoke to anyone else who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. She knew those who were expectantly waiting, hoping the way Simeon was. And any, anyone who fit that category, she spoke of, this is this Jesus, this is the Messiah, this is the one. I know you've been waiting for him too. Here he is. She spread the news. She told the good news that Simeon had just been announcing and prophesying she, as a prophetess, spoke the good news to others who were waiting for the consolation of Israel. These three basic ideas. God gives peace through salvation. God is the source of salvation. God offers salvation to all people. Do you understand those concepts? Do you believe those concepts? Are you telling other people that you believe those ideas? I'd like to close with...
with a passage from Titus 2. You can turn there if you want to, but I have it for you on the screen. This is Titus chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 11 to 15 because I think there's a parallel here to what we've just seen in the lives of Simeon and Anna, the one who was looking for the coming Messiah and the one who was willing to tell everybody, here he is. Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That sounds kind of like what we read, doesn't it? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Boy, that sounds like Simeon, doesn't it? He was righteous. He was just. He was devout. Verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our God, great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what he was doing. But this is New Testament. This is Paul writing to Titus. So what's Paul talking about? Jesus is coming again, folks. The Messiah that Simeon was waiting for and had been told, you're not going to die till you see him. We, who are believers in Jesus, are waiting for him to return. Because he said he would come back. And like Simeon, we need to be ready. We need to be waiting. We need to be eager. Now, we may die. We may fall asleep in the New Testament terminology before he returns, but we might not. We may be caught up to meet him in the air and not die. I would be cool with that. That sound good to you? Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Verse 15 says, speak these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. So he's giving advice to Titus, a young pastor. But what does he say? Speak these things. Talk about these things. The same things I was just telling you about, reminding you of. Talk to other people about them. Well, who did that in our story? Anna. Anyone who was also waiting for the consolation of Israel. She spoke of Jesus to all of them. Whether in the room, online, have you seen God's salvation in the person of Jesus Christ? Have you seen him? Have you seen Jesus? That's my question. And I don't mean with your earthly eyes. I mean spiritually speaking, have you believed on Jesus as the Messiah? If you have, are you looking for the return of Christ? Are you waiting for the consolation of Israel to come back again for them and for us, for believers in Jesus? And then are you speaking these things to others? Are you waiting expectantly? Are you hoping? Are you believing? Great. Are you speaking? Because that's what we have here in Simeon and Anna. Hope. Faith. The leading of the Holy Spirit. The recognition of who the Messiah is. It's a person. Salvation is Jesus. And then telling others. Bow your heads, please. Father, we know that you have sent Jesus, the Savior of the world, 
that those who believe, and Lord, there is a personal aspect of this. Simeon said, I have seen salvation. I've seen your salvation, O Lord. Each one of us needs to see that spiritually, to believe on Jesus as our Savior. Lord, I pray for anyone who has not yet done that today, that this would be the day of salvation, child or adult, here or online. May this be the day of salvation. And Lord, even as we celebrate today, your coming, your birth, may we be hopeful, may we be expectant, may we be watchful, may we be waiting and ready for your second coming. And while we are waiting, may we be faithful to tell others and speak of you and rejoice in your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.